Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Uh, hi everyone, my name's Josh. I'll be leading us through tonight's Bible passage. Um, it's Luke 5, um, 27 to 39. Please open up your phones or it should also be on the screen. Give you a moment. So starting at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same. But yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after, no one after drinking old wine wants new, because he says, the old is better. Hey everybody, my name's Chris, I'm one of the ministers here, I've got the privilege of opening up God's word, um, so why don't you join with me as I pray, and then we're going to dive into it, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you speak to us, and I just thank you for every single person that you have brought tonight. Father, I pray that you would do a work in us, wherever we're at. Father, I pray that you would show us more of Jesus, and that as you do that, you would be changing us to be becoming more and more like him. Father, I pray that I would decrease and he would increase, and I pray all this for his glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I think it's true that there are like there are some encounters in life that stick with you. You know, there are some moments when you meet someone and that like interaction kind of stays with you for a while. Um, I remember when I was probably just starting high school, I went to Melbourne with my family to see how good the Australian Open. And if anyone knows me, just knows that I would have been totally in my element, bit of a tennis fan. And so as I went down there, had this like giant tennis ball and I didn't bring it just to play like handball with my little brother. I brought it, of course, to get signatures from some of the players. And I remember I'd actually been like the year before with my grandparents and like great uncles, great aunties. It was very funny watching them run for trams and things. But um, I went the year before and 
Uh, one of my great uncles says, hey, Chris, I want you to get this signature of this player. And I'm like, cool, don't know who he is, but I'll do it for you. Got this signature from this player, had no idea who he was, and he took up like half my ball. And I'm like, this is not good. And so when I went with my family, I was just on like a mission. I'm like, I want to get a signature of someone who I actually know who their name is. Fair. So I'm there. My family are like, hey, just just like chill out, Chris. Just like watch the tennis. I'm like, no, I'm on a mission. I've got to get some like good signatures. And so I kind of scout around and I see this outside court and a crowd starts to swell and I'm thinking, okay, here's my chance. And so I weave through and lo and behold, see national hero, Leighton Hewitt. Come on. Um, my wife thinks it's sad that um, he's made it into my top three tennis players. She's like, yeah, I can understand like Roger and Rafa, like Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal. She's like, I don't understand Leighton Hewitt. I'm like, come on, he's so good, national hero. Anyway, saw Leighton, it was great. I'm thinking this is gonna be good. My moment, he's gonna sign this giant tennis ball. And so I, I take it, work my way to the front, probably was very godly and shoving people out of the way. And um, I stretch out my long, lanky, white arms, and um, he signs it. It was incredible. But then I just think, well, what's, what's better than, like, one giant tennis ball signed by Lane Hewitt? Three giant tennis balls signed by Lane Hewitt. And I saw my siblings, and they had some, and I'm like, hey, guys, like, chuck me your tennis balls. And so... We're just doing this awkward throwing of tennis balls and everyone's thinking, who is this really annoying, red-headed kid? But we came home with the goods, let me just say, and um, was a bit of a celebrity. My white lanky arms got into the newspaper the next day. So, so memorable. But I think about that story and I just think, well... My siblings, they're giant tennis balls. They've probably been lost and they have never really thought about them again. And my one is deflated somewhere and probably haven't thought about it for years. Like it was a memorable time, but it wasn't, it didn't have like this amazing lasting impact. But there are some encounters that do. And we see that here in Luke chapter 5. See, Jesus, he, he started his public ministry. We saw that, you know, a few weeks ago. And he's been doing all these incredible things. He's been teaching people and he's been healing people and his name and reputation are growing more and more and more. And then we come to this section and this little interaction, it might just seem like small and inconsequential and we might just think, oh, it's, it's not super significant in, you know, in light of the whole big narrative, but... This little encounter was not small for the individual who we meet in it. Verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. And, and many people, me included, think that this is actually Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. Now, sometimes we can be, you know, walking around places and a lot of different things catch our gaze, right? We could be just daydreaming and looking around and it's like, oh, I see an exit sign and I see some windows and 
a lot of things are in our peripheral vision. But when it says here that Jesus saw a tax collector, the, the word there means that he, he saw him. He looked intently and purposefully at this guy called Levi. He saw him. And last week, as Tim preached for us, we saw that Jesus, he actually claimed to be God and he could actually read the minds of some of his hearers. Jesus saw Levi. He wasn't just a number to Jesus. Like Jesus knew his name and he knew his background. He saw this tax collector at his booth. And, and tax collectors back then, they had a bit of a reputation, you know. They worked for the Romans and they had to, you know, take in the required tax limit. But anything over that, they could just, you know, keep for themselves. And a lot of them did. And so there was like gross corruption and a lot of abuse of power and greed. And so like tax collectors did not have a good rap. People hated them. And Jesus saw Levi at his booth. I'm not sure what has brought you here tonight. Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and you come every single week. You're, you're a regular. You, know, you call this place home and it's so good to have you here. Maybe you're here and you're a guest and you're just visiting us and you're kind of just checking us out and you're trying to understand what all this stuff is about. Whoever you, you are, the Bible says that God is the God who actually he sees you. He, he's the one who searches our hearts and our minds. Jesus sees you. And as we think about that, that's a bit of a daunting thought, is it not? Like when people come over to our house, like we frantically try to clean up and we shove the dirty laundry into some like hidden dark cupboard. It's like, no, nah, I don't want you to see that. But Jesus, he sees you. Like he sees the highlight reel, yes, but he also sees the things that you've hidden. He sees you. He saw Levi, but then we see something that happens next, which is pretty shocking and pretty amazing, because as Jesus sees Levi, it says that even for Levi, he calls to him and he says, Follow me. Follow me. There's this famous artwork by um, an artist named Caravaggio who, who did this artwork to kind of depict this scene, and it's pretty famous. And, and in the artwork, you see Jesus with his long extended arm pointing to this group, and you see Levi there in the group in his tax booth. And the striking thing about this painting is Levi's facial expression because he just looks totally shocked. He's kind of like saying, who, me? He's pointing to himself with a raised eyebrow just going, he's just looking totally bewildered. He's like, you might have picked the wrong guy. I don't know. He's just looking totally surprised. And I think that's the point. You know, on the surface, as I said, like this little encounter, it may look... Small and inconsequential to us, but it wasn't small for Levi. This encounter left an indelible imprint upon his life, you know, something far more lasting and more meaningful than a signature on a giant tennis ball. 
So much so that when we see what happens next in his life, verse 28, it says, So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Like we, we, we don't know whether Levi had met Jesus before and whether Levi had seen some of the miracles. We don't know that he could have. But what we do know is that Jesus called, Levi responded, and it says that he, like, he left his lucrative job, which he probably couldn't actually go back to, and he follows this Jesus guy. And he doesn't seem too sad about it either. He's not like grieving. He throws a party. He throws this like banquet. Verse 29. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. You know, Levi, he's not sad. He's not grieving. He's overjoyed. He's throwing this feast. And just as a little side note, I just think like new Christians are often the best evangelists, are they not? Like Jesus, he's not just a theory to them, but it is fresh and real and they're desperate for their friends and family to come and meet this Jesus too. That's what we see here. Levi, he's just throwing this feast. But it's a controversial meal. There are some people that aren't happy with it and there are two big things on a look at as we continue on in this passage two big things where that people aren't happy with with this meal the first there are some people who aren't happy about who is there and secondly there are some people who aren't happy about what they are doing so who is there and what they're doing. And so first, we're going to think about that first problem about the people who were there. Verse 30, it says, But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Some of us may know this, some of us may not, and that is totally fine. But these, the Pharisees, these were like, some of the Jewish religious leaders, and, and somehow they find out about this feast and they come up to Jesus' followers and they complain and they moan and they're like, you're meant to be this religious leader. Like, why is your Jesus, why is he hanging out with this crowd? Doesn't make sense. It's really interesting that they, they bring the complaint to Jesus' disciples, but it is Jesus who answers them directly. And he says this in verse 31, Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What does Jesus mean? We're going to pause here and kind of think about what he's talking about in these couple of verses and think through the logic a little bit to help us understand what Jesus is saying. I want you to imagine that you go to the doctors, right? And you go and your doctor assesses you and gives you a diagnosis. 
and it's not good. You are sick. You are very sick. And the doctor says, you're sick and you need help. So imagine that happens and imagine you're the patient. But then imagine as the patient, you think, oh, I don't know about that. Look, I'm a pretty healthy person. Like I take all the right vitamins. I've talked to all the right people, even Ken Sandell. Like I, I exercise like three, three times a week, even four when I'm feeling good. I don't eat anything deep fried. Like this body is optimum. I'm sure that they're going to ask me to be one of the next Marvel superheroes in one of the movies coming up. Like I'm a healthy, healthy person. And so even though you hear the diagnosis as the patient, imagine that you say, no, 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 you're wrong. And you walk away. Like the doctor would be thinking, oh, man, this is a great story to tell my doctor friends. (laughs) But the doctor would also be thinking, "Uh, like, there's not much I can do for you. Like I've, I've told you, but I can't actually, there's not much I can do for you at this point. See, Jesus here in these verses, he's essentially kind of labeling himself as this great physician, right? The one who came to save the sin-sick soul. And the Bible says that that is all of us, every single person. Romans says, this book in the Bible says that all have sinned. That's me, that's you. And so that no one is righteous. That essentially means that no one in their own strength can stand before God on that last day and live. No one. But Jesus, he's the, he's the great physician. He's the great doctor who, what we saw last week, he came to help. He came to forgive us from our sins. Remember Tim's sermon last week? He's the doctor that stands with his arms open and and says, follow me. But it says here that he, he has come to call sinners to repentance. What does that mean? Like, isn't that all of us? Well, yes. What he means here, in other words, is for those who admit they need help. Right? He... It's hard. He, he can't help those who, who think they're well when they're not. You know, the person that thinks they're well, who thinks they're righteous, will just walk away from the doctor. And we see that happening over and over again in the Gospels, with particularly the Pharisees. You know, these Pharisees, religious leaders, they, they thought they were well, but they weren't. You know, a word for this is a word called like being self-righteous. And what that means is that they thought, to be self-righteous means that you thought and think that you can be made right before God by your own impressive good works, by your law-keeping, by your traditions, by your service, by all the good things that you do. The self-righteous person thinks that they are well when they're actually sick and so what I want to do now thinking about doctors and things I actually want to ask us as a doctor would do some diagnostic questions for us to actually examine our own hearts and for us to think is this me question one first diagnostic question 
Are you bitter when God saves or uses those who you think are undeserving? Are you filled with bitterness? Is that you? Two, do you, do you feel like because you've done so many good things, you know, great works of service, you've done great, great things, do you feel like God owes you? And that, you know, he's, he's pretty lucky to have me on his team or he would be lucky to have me on his team. Is that you? Or three, how do you view Jesus? Is Jesus, you know, beautiful and wonderful to you? Or do you just sort of see Jesus as semi-useful to kind of help you out in some of your own endeavours, but really? Is this you? Because self-righteousness is deadly. And the reason it's deadly is because when we're self-righteous, we walk away from the doctor. We walk away from the one who can help us. I pray that that wouldn't be you tonight. But I know that there are many people here who, who do follow Jesus and you have put your trust in him and that's, that's amazing. But I just want to say that self-righteousness can still creep into the heart of the Christian. And I'm preaching to myself here that pride can still creep in. And, and I just want to say when that happens, that can actually rob us of joy, like the joy that Levi had. And I just pray and hope that maybe you know this week you might actually spend some time just alone with the Lord, examining your own heart and asking some of these questions to yourself and thinking, do I need to repent from my pride and from my trusting myself? Has this robbed me of my joy? Do I need to remind myself again of Jesus and what he's done for me? Well, it's a controversial feast here in Luke 5. And first we see that these self-righteous religious leaders, they're not happy about the people who are there. These sinners, right? But secondly, some people are also not happy, not just about the people who are there, but about what they're doing. They're not happy about what's going on, what's taking place. And so we're going to pick it up again in verse 33. It says, Then they said to him, I just want to pause there and this and, and say this could have been those religious leaders or it could have just been other people from the crowd. We don't know exactly, but it's important to note. But verse 34, sorry, verse 33, Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Essentially they're saying, well, Look, Jesus, even though John the Baptist, he's a little bit strange and a little bit odd, he's kind of got that long beard and he so eats those locusts and honey. And, but at least his followers and disciples, they seem to be, you know, religious and pious. They're like fasting and praying. And even, you know, the followers of the Pharisees, they're doing likewise. But your disciples, they just seem to be drinking and eating and feasting. What's the deal? They don't seem religious. They don't seem spiritual. Not happy. Not happy about what's going on. And so Jesus responds. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, You can't make the wedding guests fast 
while the groom is with them, can you? Now, I've got to admit, when I first read Jesus' reply there, I just thought, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, are you, are you even answering what they're saying? Like, what's going on here? But I'm going to have a go at trying to explain what I think Jesus is talking about. In our new place, um, I've got an office, and the door to my office is kind of like this big wooden door. It's a bit of a barn door. And um, in the door, it's kind of got like some little cracks in it and some little holes, and they're kind of like at perfect kid height. And so as I'm there working away, sometimes I see like little fingers pop through. Hey, Dad. Boom, boom, boom. It's like whack-a-mole. Or sometimes I see like a little eye and it's like, oh, hey, Ruby, hey, honey. And I hear the little voice, hey, can we help? I'm like, sure, you can help me write my sermon. Um, we've got this big door with cracks in it, which the kids can sometimes look through and see what's happening on the other side. The reason I say that is when Jesus was on earth and when he did lots of things, it's like we get to peek through little cracks in the door and we get little glimpses of what the kingdom of God is like. An example of this is like when Jesus was on earth, he did lots of physical healings. It was amazing like we saw that last week. But when he came, he didn't heal every single person, did he? He just healed some, like many, but he didn't heal everyone. And so when he healed people, it was a sign. And when he healed people, it's like we get to look through a crack in the door. We get a glimpse into what the kingdom of God is like. That in eternity, there will be no more sickness. It'll be perfect. In a similar way, Jesus had many feasts. This is one of many in Luke's gospel. And as he does, it's like we get another peak through a crack in the door. We get a glimpse in this feast as to what the kingdom of God is like. Because it's actually described as, you know, eternity will be like the great wedding feast of the Lamb of Jesus. There's going to be partying and rejoicing and there's going to be people from all different nations and cultures and languages and backgrounds, all these saved sinners. Like on one level, this, this feast is like Levi... Some of his mates and Jesus. Like that's one level, but there is another level. There's like this bigger layer. There's this like kingdom layer going on here. Which is amazing. And that's why Jesus says here back in the passage, that's why he answers him, verse 34, when they're kind of complaining, why all this feasting? Why all this eating, drinking, all this sort of stuff? And that's why Jesus says, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? What's he saying? He's claiming to be this, the bridegroom, the long-anticipated one from the Old Testament. He's actually claiming here to be God himself, God who came for his people, who came to, to bring about this glorious future. That's what he's saying. Then verse 35, he says, But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then 
they will fast in those days. I'm like, okay, now it's got confusing again, Jesus. What are you talking about? Um, Jesus, the groom's come. Then he's going to be taken away. When's that going to be? Well, he's going to go to the cross, isn't he? He's going to be taken away then when he's going to die for our sin. And then he's going to be resurrected. And then he's going to be ascended and go back to heaven. And when that happens, then God's people will fast again in anticipation for when Jesus comes a second time. Because when he comes a second time, his people, they won't just be looking in like a little crack in the door. But when Jesus comes a second time, when he returns, the door will be opened and his people will enter into the fullness of that feast. It will be glorious. Full joy in the new creation. But because in this passage in Luke 5, because Jesus was with them and because of all that was coming, Jesus is like, it's a new day. Of course we've got to rejoice. Of course we've got to feast. Only makes sense, right? And Jesus shares a couple more parables to help illustrate this, you know, this old new thing. He's talking about there's, it's a new day, there's newness. You know, he said you don't put a new patch onto an old garment. And he says you don't put new wine into old wineskins, you know, old new, old new. Because the, the old garment, it would be ruined, wouldn't, wouldn't work. And, and the old wineskins, they would be brittle and they would burst. It would, wouldn't work. And likewise, Jesus is saying, a new day has dawned. Previously in the old system, which we read about in the Old Testament with the law and had on top of that the traditions and also with the temple and all these other different things, you know, God's people trying to keep the law, that's, that's the old, the old system, but now the new system has come and the new system is about trusting in this great physician. It's about trusting in the bridegroom. It's about trusting in Jesus, the only one who could fulfill the law, right? The one who would die in our place. In this new system, we actually turn from trusting in ourselves to trusting in him. We turn from trusting in our own goodness, which doesn't exist, to trusting in Jesus and in his goodness. It's a new day. You know, the, the last verse, people who drunk of the old wine, they, they think it's better because that's, they're stuck in that. But Jesus is saying, no, it's a, it's a new day. And so, of course, it's a day to feast. It was quite a controversial meal that was going on and people are not happy all over the place. People aren't happy about who he's hanging out with and what they're doing. He's not happy about all these sinners feasting with Jesus. Not happy. Like, I, I, was, I was pretty excited when I got that signature from Hewitt. I thought, oh, this is great. Um, but how much more excited was Levi when he met Jesus? Like he just threw this controversial feast, did he not? 
It was not a small day for Levi. Jesus left this eternal imprint upon his life and Levi was never the same, ever. And just like Jesus saw Levi, Jesus, he he sees you. He sees you. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your background is, it doesn't matter. Jesus sees you. And he also calls you to follow him. And I pray that you would hear his call and you wouldn't keep him at arm's length thinking you're well if you're not. But you would see that Jesus, he stands with arms wide open and he says, come to me. Trust me so that you can actually partake in that eternal wedding feast, so you can know of that real and lasting and eternal joy. Jesus says to you tonight, he says, come and follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Father, help us to realize that, Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we're actually more sinful than we could ever dare believe. But, Lord, in Jesus, we are more loved than we could ever possibly imagine. Father, help us to see ourselves rightly and admit we need help. And would we not walk away from the one who didn't walk away from us? Would we not walk away from Jesus, our Saviour who stands with arms open? Would we follow him? Would we turn from trusting in ourselves and from self-righteousness, but would we turn to him and follow him? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.